Thank you, Craig. It is good to be back. And um, some of you I do remember. Uh, it's been a lot of changes since I came here. It was, uh, as Craig said, I was your uh, director of missions for um, 10 years. I uh, came in 2009, uh, or 1999, left in 2009. Craig had been here a couple of years. He said, I've got this area covered. You can go now. <laughs> he didn't really say that, but it sounds like him, doesn't it? Uh, uh, one of the things I did tell him when, uh, I know him, but uh, when, I first, when I first met him and we had a good conversation in my office and I told him, I said, the thing that worries me, you remind me of myself a lot when I was your age. I'm a good bit older than him now. And uh, I've, I've, I've reached the age in life where um, I passed my 62nd birthday. You can qualify for Social Security then if you want to start receiving that. I'm past 65, or I'm 65 right now. I have my Medicare card. Um, there's no other real landmark birthdays ahead, and so I guess I'm just waiting death. But uh, I'm glad to be here. And uh, it's good to see all of you and all of those young people, uh, children that left. That was great to see. It's been a lot of changes since I was here last. Um, you guys and you guys would be sitting outside last time I came here. A uh, lot of good changes, and it's good to see. It's good to be back, and I'm glad to be here. This morning, I want to share a message that's not just for senior adults. Uh, it's for whatever age you might be. Um, talking about living a life that's truly worth living. Wherever you are in life, whatever age you might be, I want to share a couple of scriptures with you, and, and uh, I'll read those, and then you can kind of put your thumb in Ecclesiastes. We're going to spend a lot of time in the book of Ecclesiastes there's someone giving advice there with a lot more wisdom than I have. A few years ago, I went on a uh, mission trip uh, to uh, El Salvador with a group of pastors, and I knew the guys that were in my age group, and then you could clearly tell the guys like Craig, who was a good bit years younger than me, and it, and it dawned on me, I'm the oldest guy on this trip. Because I knew the guys, that, again, that were in my age group, and I was older than them. And I, at one of the evening times, we were sitting around together, and I said, you guys need to respect me because I'm, I'm the senior member of this trip. And one of the younger pastors who was in his mid to early 30s, 34, 35, he came to me and he asked me what I thought was an interesting question. I'd never been asked anything like this before. He said, after having your career of nearly 40 years at that time, he said, if you could go back and ask your 35-year-old self, what advice would you give me today? Your older self that's gone through all your experience in life, and then your 35-year-old self saying, hey, give me some good advice. And I'd never been asking anything like that, and I th I, that's a great question, and I thought about it for a moment. And, and I said, uh, to be honest with you, um, my 35-year-old self would be polite, and he would listen, because both of our mothers taught us to be polite and listen to older folks. But he would probably just listen, and the whole time he's thinking, yeah, that's fine, and, and uh, that's okay for somebody your age, but we're different. And things are going to be different in my time, and I'm going to make things different. And, and we, we have to kind of learn things on our own. I used to have little plaques and, and sayings in my office, and there was one about advice, two things to be reminded about advice. Wise people don't need it, fools won't heed it. And so you need to be careful giving advice. And, and even as I got older, I, I learned 
be careful giving advice, but that's why we're going to look at Ecclesiastes in just a moment. The first scripture I want to share with you comes from Psalm 90, chapter 90, verse 12. The psalmist is telling us in a prayer and reminding us to teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Each of us has a certain number of days. We don't know what that number might be. I had kind of a wake-up call uh, recently. I went back home. I'm, I'm a product of the Mississippi school system. I'm from Columbus, Mississippi. Went back and, and uh, to visit some of my friends, uh, my family, both mother and father, been in heaven for a number of years, don't really have any living relatives there anymore. But I had some guys that I went to high school with, and, and uh, one of them I knew was in the last stages of pancreatic cancer. Um, what I didn't know, uh, my former roommate's uh, senior year in college, a successful businessman, and we had lost touch. I don't do Facebook and, uh, anymore, any of that kind of stuff. Um, I'm trying to get completely off the web and completely off the, the grid so they can't track me anywhere. But uh, my uh, former roommate, uh, again, he was my age, 65, and I called and, and was just going to surprise him and, and didn't want to make sure he was at his office in that city. And I said, Jimmy, in, in the office today? No, he's not here. I said, will he be in tomorrow? Well, he's going to be out of the office for a little bit. And I, told, I said, well, I'm his old roommate from college, hadn't talked to him in a while, and, and just wanted to come in and surprise him. And she said, well, I can tell you this. He's in Houston, Texas, a cancer treatment. He has melanoma, and it's not looking good. And so um, didn't know that at all. Um, Jimmy's in heaven now, Steve, the guy that had pancreatic cancer. And since that time, two other guys, and this was in November. And from November to January, four people my age that I knew, went to high school with, were friends with, passed away. And so it gets your attention. Our days are numbered. You don't know the number, and it is wise to make the most of every day. That's what Ephesians 5, 16 and 17 tells us. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Sin-scarred world that we live in, and the wages of sin is death. You don't know how many days you have. I don't know about Craig, but I've done funerals of people who hadn't reached their first birthday. And so you need to have the mindset that I need to make the most of every day that I have breath. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Each day I need to wake up and decide I'm going to follow the Lord's will because he knows what's best for me this day than I do. And as you get older, which I have, we have, I found that the search for meaning in life sometimes gets intensified because I know for a fact I have lived more of my life now in the past than I have in the future. You still don't know that at any age, but when you get in your mid-60s, which I am, then you realize I'm not going to live to be... And, you know, we used to call ourselves middle-aged in our 50s. I don't know too many people that's 120, 130 years old. You know, we're way past middle age. Get over it. And so it, it, it's something that, that dawns on me that... I need to try to make the most, and I find that a lot of senior adults want to try to intensify making the most of each day being meaningful. But it's not just us older adults. People of all ages, far and wide, seem to have that pursuit of trying to find meaning in life. Purpose, meaning. I went to seminary, graduated with uh, Rick Warren, who wrote the famous book, uh, The Purpose Driven Life. I missed that class on how to build a huge church and have a best-selling um, book like he did, but uh, anyway, 
all of us are looking for, the reason it sold so greatly is all of us at every age are looking for purpose and meaning in life. And it amazes me how a lot of people will pursue meaning in life by doing some wild and reckless things. Taking a lot of risks. Of course, all of you have heard the famous last words of a redneck, hey y'all, watch this. <laughs> or the one that's just kind of like that. Y'all look, I'm going to try something. And it's usually followed by some dumb stunt. And life is too precious. Life is too fragile to take risks that aren't worth it. Whatever you're trying to do, even if it's something that doesn't take you out of life, it could be something that harms your life or cripples your life or puts a ceiling on your life for the rest of your days. A lot of people seek... Uh, purpose and meaning in relationships. Man, if I could just date this person, if I could just marry this person, if I could be with that one, it, it'd make a difference in my life. And then you find out it really didn't work that way. Or if I could have this job or, or, or have this career or this position, and then you get it and find that, no, that didn't fulfill all of that desire either. And then sometimes people will get uh, depressed and try to escape life. Uh, Depression, drugs, all different ways to escape, and, and looking for meaning in life. Oscar Wilde, the famous writer, said it this way. In this world, there are two tragedies. One is getting everything one wants, or not getting everything one wants, and the other is getting it. When I was in seminary, we had to read a lot, and, and I got tired of all the theology and that sort of thing. And, and uh, uh, one year, I was um, renting a room in a friend's uh, house. His dad was a professor at uh, Baylor University, and, and the room that I rented was his library. I had a little cot set up in there, and just all these books, and, and uh, I thought, I'm going to go back and read one of the classics that I did book reports on when I was in high school, but never really read. Don't tell my teachers. But I read Moby Dick, Herman Melville's uh, uh, classic book, and, and there was a quote in there that stayed with me and it even affected the first sermon I ever preached because most of you know the story about Moby Dick if you haven't read the book you've seen the old movie and 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 it's about these uh, sailors they're in pursuit of the great white whale and and Herman Melville writes talking about this ocean that surrounds them that's so uncertain and can be so dangerous and they come upon the island of Tahiti which is like an oasis and he says this for as much as this appalling ocean surrounds the verdant land, I had to look up verdant too. I was a product of Mississippi school system. For as much as this appalling ocean surrounds the verdant land, so in the soul of man there is one insular Tahiti full of peace and joy. But it's encompassed by the horrors of a half-lived life. And that last phrase just seemed to stay with me. First sermon I ever preached uh, in a church was the text, John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus says, the thief comes to rob, steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. I didn't want to get to the end, and I still don't want to get to the end, and look back and think of what a half-lived life would be. Think about that. You didn't make the most of it. Years ago, my wife and I were at a conference at uh, one of those things that the state convention used to do for preachers and wives, and, and the, the speaker was there talking about fear. A lot of us have things that we're afraid of and, and, and struggle with fear. Uh, that's one of the, the primary ways that Satan tries to uh, attack us in, in dealing with things that, that we're just afraid of. And he told us, just write down the things that you're afraid of. And my wife, uh, who... Uh, 
has dealt with panic attacks, anxiety uh, disorder, those sorts of things that she's made part of her testimony as she's struggled to overcome those. She's just writing away. You know, this is right up her ballpark. And, and I wrote, and she looked around, and I, I just had one sentence. And that ticked her off. You know how wives are. And, and I wasn't trying to be cocky or, or macho or anything. It was honest. The only thing that I was afraid of, and still am, I'm afraid I'm going to miss something. I don't want to miss anything that God has for me in this life. Now, I know heaven awaits, but I want to get the most out of every day in this life because I'm going to be dead a long time. I don't want to miss anything. And that half-lived life phrase stayed with me. And, and as I began to preach and teach, one of the things when I was a pastor, I've, I've tried to do a lot of preaching through books, and I preached through the book of Ecclesiastes. And so if you want to find that, you can, you can flip over there. And, and I began to realize as I shared in Psalms that our days are numbered, and, and Ephesians talks about um, making the most of every opportunity. And, and as I got older and friends started dying, and I had uh, situations where literally I won't go into the testimony. Some of you may remember when I was a director of missions, I had aneurysms going to both kidneys. I had to have basically six months of, of uh, uh, my work load wiped off of the calendar for a couple of major surgeries. I literally should have died about uh, 14 years ago. And so I realized how precious and fragile life is. James chapter 4 verse 14 tells us that our life is like a mist that appears for a while and is gone. And so I began looking at what's the best advice and, and Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon. The man who's noted in the Bible that was gifted by God with wisdom. Now there's somebody that can give you advice. And he also was king of Israel in a prime time, and, and he had the resources, the wisdom, the power, the wealth to pursue things, and as we'll read in just a moment, he did. He looked at all the different ways to try to live a full life. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 13, he said, I applied my mind to study and explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavenly burden God has laid on mankind. And so here he is looking at all the things that God has given us and put on us in this life. And then in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1, he begins in these uh, 11 verses, he begins to basically show his qualifications and how he really has been able to look at everything there is in life that we would explore. He said, I said to myself, come now, I'll test you with pleasures and find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, it's madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for the people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself, planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks, planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs of water groves of flourishing trees. I brought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born into my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself. And the treasure of kings and provinces, I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well. The delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing. My eyes desired, I refused my heart no pleasure. 
My heart took delight in all my labor. This was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, listen to this, after all that he's talked about doing everything and just experiencing everything that he could experience and with he had the ways and the means to do it. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. And if you go and you read through, which we won't today, but hopefully you, you will if you haven't already, the entire book of Ecclesiastes, he talks about all the different things in life, the pursuits, and, and uses that phrase over and over. Hang on to that. A chasing of the wind. How futile it is to chase the wind. You can't catch it. But there are three things that I, I did discover reading through and preaching through and teaching the book of Ecclesiastes over the years that he does give us that we can kind of find handles to hold on to today. Again, no matter what age you might be. First, as you go through life, connect and belong to others. It's important to do that. I still remember when I was in seminary, I wasn't pastor in the church, but the pastor of the church that I was attending knew how important it was for us young seminary students to get some experience. And so one day I got a call and he said, I want you to do a funeral. I'd never conducted a funeral in my life. But it was one of those situations that I found out later happens quite often. A funeral home has someone who's not affiliated with the church uh, uh, and, and uh, they'll just want to have some clergyman to do the uh, funeral service. And so uh, they called our church, and the church pastor called me. And I went, and it was the first time, you know, I'd been to a few funerals, not a lot as a young person. Some family members, a couple of friends of mine in high school got killed, but not a lot. And the first thing, I was shocked as I walked in, and there was a casket with somebody in it. Uh, you know, I said, oh, it is a funeral. You know, I didn't know the person at all. And I did the best I could do, but I'm sitting out there and I'm looking and there were less than 10 people in the room and that's counting me, the funeral director and the man in the casket, less than 10 people. And I looked and, and there in the casket was this, this man and you could just look and, and you could tell that he was probably younger than he looked, but you could just tell that life had been difficult. And so... I struggled through with who knows what I said. And there was one man that uh, uh, was there with the, like his family. And that was about it. As I said, there were less than 10 people in the room. Me, the funeral director, the guy in the casket, that means there's seven sitting out there. And most of them were his family. In fact, probably all of them were. But he came to me afterwards. He shook my hand, and I still remember, some 40 years ago. He said, I appreciate you doing this. I know it wasn't easy for you. He was a distant relative of mine, and uh, we hadn't been in touch with him. He had no other connections with anybody. We've just lost touch with him for years. All the family did. But when I found out that he had died, I figured he needed to have a decent funeral, and I appreciate you doing that. And I thought, what a sad life. This man that I didn't know, and even the seven family members out there didn't really know him. One of the greatest riches you can have in this world is building friendships. I've been able to have friends in different states, different countries, and, and friendships are important. And, and the writer of Ecclesiastes tells us in uh, chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, that it's important to be connected and to belong to people. He says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. 
If either of them falls down, one can help the other get up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them also. If two lie down together, they'll keep warm. How can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. And one of the benefits you have by being a member of a church, this church, is you have a support group. Uh, doctors will tell you, uh, human uh, uh, self-help uh, uh, groups will tell you that one of the things that happens when there's a, a tragedy or a difficulty, a death, get involved in a support group. You already have that as members of Malvern Hill Baptist Church. I respect Buster because he's older than me, but I'll, say, I'll use him as an example. A couple years, not many. If something were to happen to Buster, do you know what would happen in just a few hours? Charlotte's house would be overwhelmed by people coming to comfort them, to be with them, to bring food, and be there for several days, even long after. And that, I'm using an example, but you know that's the truth. Any of you church members would have that. People would come and they'd be there. Because that's what God wants us to do. It's what we do as God's children. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 begins by telling us that we serve the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles, that we may comfort others in their trouble. And that word comfort comes from the Greek word that literally means to stand beside. That's how God comforts us. We're not going to miss out on, on the difficulty. You become a believer, you're not going to miss out on difficulty and problems in this world because we live in a sin-scarred world. Jesus told us it rains on the just and the unjust. Bad things happen to good people for no reason. Because we live in an evil world. That's what the passage of Scripture in, in Ephesians said. The days are evil. But God, while he said tells us clearly that uh, he's not going to prevent us from going through difficulty. He does say this, I'll comfort you. I'll stand beside you. As you prayed in your commissioning prayer, we stand with each other. God stands beside us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Hebrews 13, 5 tells us that. And he stands beside us in our troubles so that we can go and stand beside others in their trouble. It's important to be connected with folks. belong to other people. Also, second thing that uh, I see in Ecclesiastes, the writer tells us to accept pain as a part of life. All through the book of Ecclesiastes, he's talking about difficulties that happen and, and pain and injury and things that we suffer. And, and, and he talks about all the things that are part again of living in a sin-scarred life. You're not going to be able to avoid difficulty. Our human tendency, however, is to avoid that. Let's take a pill. Let's take a drink. Uh, let's deny situations. Let's, let's just pull away from things. I got hurt by this. I'm not going to be part of that anymore. But you can't avoid pain and live. God doesn't necessarily cause pain and difficulty in this life because we're the ones, Adam and Eve started it all by Disobeying God and allowing sin and difficulty and the consequences of sin to come into our lives. But God does use those difficult times to teach us. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10 tells us that even Jesus, who never committed sin, was perfected through suffering. I told you a little bit earlier, I had uh, uh, some major surgeries uh, uh, the year was... Um, 
2001. Had to stop and think. And, and the doctors told my wife that uh, the things that I had going on, the aneurysms and the uh, renal artery disease, it was very rare. He said, this is usually what we find during the autopsy. You know, a guy in his 40s looks to be in good health and he just dies and now we find out why. But uh, in a miraculous way that's a longer story than you want to hear, uh, they, they found out about all of that. And, and to this day, I've got a 25-inch scar around my ever-increasing waist. Um, and, and I don't have any feeling right here. I never will. You know, I, I, there's, there's pressure, but I, I just don't have any feeling. And so this is as much as I can suck in my gut because, they you know, they just did too much cutting. It is. But every morning... As I wake up, and, and, and I'm not in pain, but I'm never really fully comfortable because I get up and there's just, just this funny feeling right here about the size of a football where there's no feeling. And I'll face the mirror and I'll see that huge scar, 25 inches, all look around here. And it's my reminder of all the pain and the difficulty. And let me tell you, if you go in the hospital and the surgeon tells you that um, we're not going to be able to do this arthroscopically, when I saw this, yeah. I saw the scar, that, that wasn't with a scope. And he said, this is also going to be uncomfortable. Uncomfortable means it's going to hurt. But I remember all that pain, and, and I, I'm reminded every day as I look at that, I shouldn't be here. Today's a gift. And so when you go through difficulty, when you go through the times of pain, don't try to avoid it. Don't try to get angry or bitter. I know some people will do that. They'll get angry at God or bitter, mad at the pastor because uh, they're scared of getting mad at God, so they'll get mad at you. Don't do that. Remember Hebrews 2, verse 10, that even Jesus was perfected through suffering, and so God is perfecting me through this, and so ask this question. What is God teaching me in this situation? What does he want me to learn in this situation that's going to perfect me and cause me to be more like Christ? in this difficulty. Belong to others. Be connected with others. Accept pain as a part of life and use it to grow. And the third thing he talks about is, is literally living each moment to the fullest. You read through Ecclesiastes and, and there's, there's verse after verse where he's talking about enjoy your youth while you're young and enjoy time with your wife. And, and he's talking about making the most of each moment because even though he experienced all these great things in life as, as the king he was able to to build great things and and to do things that uh, talked about building reservoirs and parks he realized that life is not really made up of great wondrous moments there's lots of great wondrous moments in life but life is made up more and more of just the everyday little things one of my favorite seminary professors was Dr. Lacoste Munn. Taught, uh, I had a New Testament and Greek class with Dr. Munn, and, and he was very corny. Uh, he's um, re retired, still uh, teaching Sunday school. Uh, in his, um, I think he's 89 now. But uh, just corny as he could be. And we always just waited. Was he going to tell one of his corny things? And, and I still, and, but he, we remember a lot of his stuff because it was corny. And I still remember he gave this illustration that I'm going to share with you that makes the point of making the most of each moment. Don't just rush through life wishing for the next thing. I used to be somebody that was that way. I'd play, I'd play golf and I'd get mad with preacher friends who would stand and, and they'd take, you know, a guy just, help me read this putt. I can't tell what it's going to do. I said, it's not going to do anything until you hit the ball. Just hit it. Let's go on. And he looked at me and he said, well, what else do you want to hurry up and get through with in life? And it dawned on me, I was rushing through a lot of life, and you don't get it back. 
And Dr. Munn told us this story about boiled okra. I don't know if any of you, any of you ever eat boiled okra? Oh, bless your heart. Did you know what you were eating? As a true southerner, okra is meant to be fried. And boiled okra, it's just so slimy, and, and it just you know, hardly stays on the fork, and, and it just slides down the throat. And, and he told this boiled okra story that, if you don't remember anything, you'll probably remember this about the message. There was a guy that had a couple of old uh, hound dogs, and, and they just stayed at the back porch, and, and he would just uh, literally throw out whatever was left over, and the dogs would just compete and literally leap in midair, whether it was chicken bones or whatever. And one night, they had boiled okra and had a lot of it left over, duh. But uh, he opened the back door and just heaved out that bowl of boiled okra. And one of the dogs leapt up ahead of the other one and swallowed it all. And it went down so fast, he thought the other one ate it and beat him up. (laughs) Now, it's a silly story. But Dr. Munn told us that years ago in seminary. And I've always thought about boiled okra. Don't gulp down life so fast that you miss the joy of savoring each moment. You may remember boiled okra, and that's all you need to remember is just slow down and make the most of this moment. You don't get it back. I don't care what it may be. I'm retired, and I, I, I spent a lot of time, and, and for a while, it, it, it took a while for me to kind of wind down and get used because I was sort of hyper, and, and I told the people, what are you doing in retirement? And I said, you know, you know about Martha and Mary, the two sisters, and, and Jesus was visiting in their house, and Martha's in the kitchen busy doing all the things that are necessary. And then she gets ticked off at Mary, who's just sitting there enjoying being at Jesus' feet. And I said, in retirement, I've got about a dozen bird feeders in the backyard. I've built a little patio with a little fire pit. And, and, and I just really, for a while, I thought, I'm just wasting the day. But then I began to remember boiled okra and savoring each moment. And I watched the birds and, and, and how they trust God. And, and I'm just savoring each one of those moments. And I told folks, you know, I spent nearly 40 years being Martha, being busy in the kitchen and doing things that needed to be done. But then find times I would look and I would see other people that you can get so busy doing church work, you're not really spending time with Jesus, whether you're the pastor or a deacon or whomever. And so I'm really focusing on enjoying being Mary, not gulping down life, sitting at the foot of Jesus. Make up each day to be the best you can be that day and savor each moment. Dr. Um, Jewish rabbi Harold Kushner written a couple of best-selling books. Um, and one of his books, um, a lot of it was based on Ecclesiastes, and it was uh, when all you ever wanted wasn't enough. And, and he talked about interviewing a lady in his church who was near death, and she was in her late 80s, and he just asked her about, if you had your life to live over, would you do anything different? And she thought for a minute, she said, yeah, preacher, I probably would. I'd eat more ice cream and less beans. Now think about that. Beans are, are important in your life, but ice cream's more fun. And she's saying, you know, if I look back, and I've been at the bedside as you have and you will continue to do with, with people in the, their last breath. And I've never had anybody, man, I wish I'd spent more time in the office. Man, I wish I'd spent more time dedicated to the time with family. Just enjoying, savoring each moment. And the writer of Ecclesiastes basically is boiling everything down in those three points. Belong to others, be connected with others in life, accept pain as part of life and make the most of it, learning from God, 
and live each moment to the fullest. But as I looked and I got to the conclusion, which to be honest with you, I flipped there before I finished reading all of Ecclesiastes, because it was getting depressing. Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14. He says, now that all has been heard, here's the conclusion of the matter. Here's what you do in life to get the most out of it. Fear God and keep his commandments, for that is the duty of all mankind. God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. And so it's important how you live life because God is keeping score. But I have to be honest with you, and, and this may be you having the same emotion as I read that. Be careful how you live and fear God. In other words, honor him, keep his commandments, do what God's told you to do. It's our duty to do that. He's going to be judging everything that you do, whether it's secret or hidden things, good or evil. And I thought, really, to be honest, it seems unfair to have to wait for God to set everything right after you die. Maybe I'm a little bit greedy, but I wanted to have some enjoyment before then. And I began to look back and realize the writer of Ecclesiastes is haunted by death. He speaks of death a lot and, and, and of life being like chasing after the wind and things being futile. And he seems to be haunted with death. And then it dawned on me, there's one thing that's missing in his analysis of trying everything in life. This was written long before Jesus came. It's the Hebrew expression of life, looking at things before Jesus. Jesus is the one who really makes the difference. 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 tells us that those who are in Christ, not necessarily in church, there's a difference. You can be in church and not in Christ. Those who are in Christ who are born again are new creatures. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Jesus makes the difference. He's the one that can transform the chasing after the wind, the uselessness of life, the things where I'm just trying to hang in there and trying to be a good Christian. I'm trying to obey God and do all these sorts of things so that I can get judgment when, you know, when I die. Jesus makes a difference today. New creatures. And, and Craig could tell you, because he had to study Greek, and, and we like bringing that in just because we had to do it. But, but in, in that passage of Scripture, it is a progressive way of expressing it, it's, it's being new every day. Old things are being daily passed away. Every day is different and better with Jesus. Solomon didn't know that. Jesus changes everything. That's why you go back to that first sermon that I ever preached. John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus is the way you can have an abundant life. For those of you who are afraid you're going to miss something. You get Jesus, you don't miss it. And we'll close with a verse of scripture in John chapter 3, verse 8. And remember I told you to hang on to that phrase in Ecclesiastes where he's talking about everything seems to be futile, just chasing after the wind. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You know the story. Nicodemus is a very religious man. And, and Nicodemus comes and, and, and he talks to Jesus because he sees something that religion has not filled up in his life. And Jesus tells him right quickly, you need to be born again. And then in verse 8, John chapter 3, Jesus says this, and it's remarkable, and, and again, it took a while, I'm slow, I'm a product of the Mississippi school system, but then it dawned on me how this really is kind of a connection from 
what Ecclesiastes was saying and the one thing that was missing in looking at life and finding joy each day in this world, chasing after the wind. Jesus said, John chapter 3, verse 8, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Everyone born of the Spirit is like the wind. You hear it sound. You can't really see the wind. You see the results of the wind. You don't know where the wind necessarily is going, whether people predict. And, and I heard an honest weatherman on TV one day, and he said, you know, with all of our technology, uh, we're about 50% better than taking a wild guess. I thought, what? Well, I find an honest weatherman. But Jesus is telling us that those of us who are born of the Spirit are like that wind. I'll have plans. I'll put things, you know, on my calendar. And, and every day I'll have an idea. This is what I want to do this day or that day. And you do too. But you don't know what that day has for you. You don't know what's going to happen that day. You don't know how it's going to unfold. But God does. And so if you want to get the most out of life, first you have to be born again. You have to be born of the Spirit. You have to be in Christ. There's a difference in being in church and in Christ. I'm sure you've heard that a lot. But then... It's just waking up each day, no matter what you have planned, no matter what time you have to be at work or school or whatever activity you have scheduled or planned or want to do that day, you realize that the wind, the Holy Spirit, is coming to blow my life. And so each day you just literally set the sail up and say, Father, I'm yours today. I know what I have in, in my plans, but I don't know for certain what's going to happen. I don't know if I'm going to literally make it out of the driveway, but you know. And so whatever wind you blow my way, my sail is in control of your wind. Blow me and take me and let this day be what you would have it be for me. And there's the secret to living a life worth living. So as we move into a time of response, I want to ask you, first of all, are you born again? If you're not, your pastor will be here and he'll be glad to talk with you about how you can give your life to Christ today. Are you connected with people? Maybe you need to be a part of this church family today. This is a good church. I've known this church for a long time. Are you making the most of each moment by surrendering daily to the wind of the Holy Spirit guiding you wherever God will lead you so that you can live a full and abundant life? I'm going to ask Craig to come and, and to stand and to receive you. Uh, any decision that you need to make it right now, whether it's one of those things I've talked about or maybe something else, you just need him to pray with you about. Um, our music team is going to lead us. Um, great is thy faithfulness. And you do what God leads you to do right now in this time of response to get the most out of each day that God has you here. Craig. Would you stand with us, please?